You know, it's really amazing. Being a rabbi or having that calling card, people come up and ask you the oddest things. Like, Rabbi, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I'll have another quarter pound of uh, coleslaw. Yeah, sorry. What's the point of Judaism? Or religion, for that matter, or spiritual practice? What's it all about? I'll take it to go. I'll take it to go. It's like... We're not the first, right, who try to find essential features or to boil things down, to reduce them to something, right, some kind of elevator pitch. The Gemara, the Talmud says, that the rabbis were busy doing those kinds of things too. Al Shoshet Varim HaOlama made three things the world is standing on. The whole world is just two things. Finally, Bachabakuk, one of the rabbis says, Chabakuk, the prophet, came and said that there's only one main principle in Judaism. We know, of course, of Hillel's statement, right? What is hateful to you, and so on and so on. We have this desire to find the essence, to get to the bottom of it. What's the root of it? One could say that all of spiritual practice is about returning to yourself. And by yourself, I don't mean to your list of all the things that you should finish by the end of the week, by the end of the month, by the end of the year, by the end of the decade, by the end of the month, the year, all that, right? I mean to your essential self. What Rav Kook, the first chief rabbi of Palestine, called Ha'atzmi, my essential core divine peace, that which is irreducible, oddly enough, to return to yourself. And one of the most important ways to remember who you are is through stories. Elie Wiesel is fond of saying that, quoting the Hasidic saying, that God loves stories. That's why God created the world with stories. And we are the people of stories. Rav Nachman of Breslov once said that there are many kinds of stories in the world. Some stories are told to put children to sleep. We tell stories to wake ourselves up. Stories that wake us up. There's a story like that in this week's Torah portion. It might not seem like one of those stories that wakes you up when you read it. In fact, it might make you laugh a little bit. The Israelites, in As the Torah Turns, are coming now closer to the promised land. They have won a few battles. The nations, right, that have heard of the conquest of the Israelites are afraid. They're terrified. And one of those nations, the nation of Moab, Moab, has a king named Balak, Balak ben Sipur. And Balak hears what happened to the Emories and to all of the others, and he gets, he's afraid, and he decided to go and hire a prophet. Apparently there were prophets that you could hire in the day, and there was a famous one named Bil'am, Bil'am ben Bi'or. Bil'am ben Be'or and Balak ben Sipur. Sounds like a musical group. Bil'am is a reticent prophet. We're told that he's not Jewish, he's a Gentile prophet, but he's on the same level as Moses. Lo kam Israel navi ke Moshe, aval be'umosa olam kam. The Midrash says that Bil'am is on the same level of Moses. We have Moses against Bil'am in the prophet off. 
And Bilam doesn't want to go. He's reticent. He says, it doesn't matter how much you pay me. Well, maybe it does, because in the end he goes. First he demures, and then he says, oh, okay. But God says to Bilam as he's leaving, he says, don't worry. Even though you have been hired to curse the Jewish people, I won't let that take place. Whatever it is that I place in your mouth, that's what you will say. So Bilam, the seer, is riding on his donkey, his she-ass, to deliver a paid-for-in-advanced imperication of the Jews. God, who is not too keen, and even though God promises that nothing that Bilam says will actually turn out to be a curse, God goes one step further. As the donkey is moving along, suddenly, along the way, there's an angel with a sword that Bilam the prophet can't see. But who can see it? The donkey. Intelligently, the donkey swerves off the path. Bilam whacks her. The second time, the donkey swerves off the path lest she is killed by the angel. She directs herself between two narrow vineyard walls. And she mashes Bilam's foot against one of the walls. Bilam whacks her again. The third time, the angel chooses such a narrow place that the animal's only option is to lie down and Balaam whacks her for a third time. Whereupon, and get ready here, everybody. If you know the story, don't give it away. The she-ass turns to Balaam and speaks. I'm telling my son Bear this on the way back from the, the mikvah. We're, you know, we have a little thing we go to before Shabbos, and we're walking along. And I'm telling him the story. He says, Abba, um, how did the donkey talk? I said, well, you know. I don't know. He said, I have it. There's like an electric button on the donkey. <clears throat> now, my son is not the first one to say, wait a second, what's going on here? All of the commentaries want to know how is it possible that it, a donkey can speak and what's the meaning of it? We're going to leave that question on the side for a moment. Because Robert Alter, who is the great University of California translator and critic, wrote a classic work, The Art of Biblical Narrative, and he wrote in that book that in this story we are dealing with a classic parable, a very sophisticated literary piece. It comes complete with the standard mythic three confrontations with an invisible angel, and each one is increasingly difficult to ignore. Indeed, the great seer Bil'am, writes Robert Alter, is effectively blind. This man who can see, can't see. And a dumb animal. And she-asses are notoriously dumb. A she-ass is greater than his ability to notice. She herself can see that his mission is contrary to God's plan. So the question immediately becomes in this parable, can the seer raise himself to the level of a donkey. And can we? The story, in other words, is about the folly of human ego, self-destructively preoccupied with its own agenda instead of discerning God's will, the will of the universe 
replace God with anything you want, the way of things, the Tao of things, the truth of things, the reality of the relationship, the reality of the job, the reality as reality, qua reality. Bil'am is the classic ego-driven individual who refuses to see what's true. And this, my friends, is unnerving. And every good parable should be unnerving, not reassuring. The story of a talking ass, and who doesn't know one of those, right? (laughs) Is ultimately a liberation story. The story of the donkey, of the aton, the asono shel bil'am, is a liberation story. It's a story of how we get stuck over and over again. It's how life presents itself with all kinds of hints, illusions, winks, and says, wake up. As Merman, there was, the poet Merman said that we are all asleep with compasses in our hands. Asleep with compasses in our hands. And there are three moments of this donkey's attempt to wake us up. The first one, the donkey reroutes Bil'am. The donkey says, the route that you are going on, not a good idea. Anybody ever have that? I guarantee you all of you have had it. You need to see your hands. Each and every one, well, thank you. The donkey reroutes us. We're on a particular path. We're on the way to becoming a rabbi. And the next thing you know, you're in a restaurant somewhere twirling pasta for somebody. That's my story. I kept waking up going, wait a second. I was supposed to be, I'm now 30. I was supposed to have finished Shas. I should have finished the whole Talmud by now. No, 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 no. You weren't on the right path. I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be. Oh, no, no, I, I can see it right here. Says the donkey, no, no, no. Says our intuition, says our heart, says that which in us, which knows, whatever you want to call the donkey. And sometimes, by the way, we're the donkey, and someone else is bilaming us. I was at a gathering this past week in the Federation where an incredible organization called Footsteps brought together a panel of rabbis to talk about the ultra-Orthodox world and those who leave it and how how hard it is for them to be integrated in the non-Orthodox world and how many years it took the Jewish world to effectively provide a safety net, some way to speak to these people, many of whom had no basic education, couldn't figure out a way to work in a world that they didn't know And I could see myself thinking, how many of those courageous young people, those individuals who left that world, were being whacked? Don't go that way. That's not your way. Shame the family. How many people are taught not to trust their guts, to know what's true for them? And the second place, is that the donkey brings us into a narrow, narrow vineyard. Say, try to get out of here now. After you've already awakened awakened to the problem, you've already been rerouted, things begin to get narrower and narrower. You start thinking, wow, I can't get out of here. 
It's too narrow. This life is too narrow. These choices are too narrow. And finally, finally, in the third moment, we finally get it. We see it, our eyes open. And we say, we don't want to pass it on. We don't want to be the ones who didn't have the courage to finally make a change. We're listening deeply. We got it. The hints are there. We've been rerouted. It's squeezing us. We're going to figure out a new way. And we get it. Light bulb goes off. I was reading a story this week from the poet Mark Nepo. Some of you know that uh, he's a little bit of a Rebbe for me. And this story comes from a book called Finding Inner Courage. And it very much reminded me of this teaching of the donkey of Bil'am. Of what it is to listen deeply to those intuitions, to those intimations for transformation. And to do something differently this time. He writes, there was a little boy. He and his mother were dealing with the loss of his father, her husband. The boy went silent in his grief for months on end. She grew concerned and brought him to a program called Children to Children. After weeks of more silence, the little boy picked up a play sword and told his mother to lie down. These were his first words since his father had died. He then thrust the sword at her and said, you're dead. And she lay there heartbroken but kept quiet. And after a time, he pulled the sword back and said, you're alive. And he kept repeating, sword in, sword out, as his mother cried. And somehow, writes Mark Nepo, in his little boy wisdom, which defied words, he was practicing the journey back to life. And then he says, he was practicing the art of self-return. To pull the sword out and to say, you're alive. To listen to the donkey and say, I get it. I've been rerouted. I've been squeezed. I'm not passing it on. The universe is sending me a message and I want life. I can turn my curses into blessings. That's why Bil'am will now, when he, right, later on in the story, what's going to happen? Bil'am is going to try to curse, but only blessings come out. Only blessings come out. You know why? Because he, he listened finally to the donkey. He got it. He softened into the messages that he was receiving. He took the sword out and he said, I'm alive. And from life, only blessings will flow, not curses. I get it. This is the blessing of this evening's and this Shabbat's reading. It comes on a Shabbat that precedes the saddest third weeks of the Jewish calendar. This coming Tuesday will be the 17th day of the month of Tammuz, and it will be a fast day. And the tradition teaches us it is a day... One of the reasons given for the fast is that on this day, the tablets, the first ones, were broken... And there's a beautiful Torah from the Sfas Emes. A Hasidic teacher teaches a beautiful thing. He says the first tablets were broken. We think it was because of the golden calf, 
but that's not the case. The first tablets, he says, were broken because we weren't ready yet to receive them. You get that? The first tablets weren't broken because we did something wrong, but because we weren't ready yet to receive them. That's why they're still in the ark. The first tablets, as Fas Emes, quoting the Talmud, says, the first tablets, the broken ones, are in the ark. And they're waiting for us to claim them when we are ready. Shiva Saber Tammuz commemorates the breaking of the tablets, the breaking of the walls of Jerusalem. But they really are an opportunity for us to look at those places in our life where the sword has been sunk in and where we need to pull it out and say, you're alive. So I just want to leave you with this blessing. I want to bless you that perhaps you'll be in the middle of an argument this week and you'll be undone by something that the opponent says to you and be brought to your knees looking at your enemy's lip. Or maybe while this week you're sharpening your knife, you cut yourself and the trickle of blood stains your list of grievances in your life. What if the pain that we experience in our lives, the kind of pain that opens up a fist, is really the tap of an angel saving us from ourselves? Something to think about.